0: Welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. As you might be noticing, these podcast episodes for season four, their running time has definitely been fluctuating. I always try to aim for at least 45 minutes, sometimes going over just a little bit based on, of course, if it's a long run episode or not. Or sometimes there's just a little bit of extra details that happen in the recap. And sometimes, well, the recap just happens rather quickly. And then when it comes to trivia, there's none. It's not that I'm lazy. It's just maybe sometimes not inspired by anything that happened in that episode. Also, with today's episode, once again, certain residents of Walnut Grove have found other words to go ahead and describe the Native Americans in this episode and none of them am I going to bother to repeat. Most of these words have already been used in a previous episode, so they don't really need to be used again. We can just go ahead and easily fill them in with other things such as offensive name or offensive language. And I, I mean that with the quotation marks offensive names and or offensive language. And of course, those are included in there just to let us know how much of a D-bag our antagonist is in this episode. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Freedom Flight and debuted on December 12th, 1977. The episode was written by Ron Chiniqui and Richeline Kelsey and directed by Michael Landon. We begin with a wide shot of the prairie. A man on horseback is running down the hill towards the camera and he is coming in fast. It's the first of really many long takes in this episode of us watching many shots of people riding their horses through the prairie. We cut to Walnut Grove right outside the post office, doctor's office, motel a wagon pulls itself away from the mill and that young man on horseback is flying into town all the way up to the church, school, hospital, courthouse, and starts to ring the bell and announces, uh, this is awkward, um, some rather offensive language in describing Native Americans and letting everyone know they're on their way. Over at the mercantile, Charles comes out, followed by the rest of the Ingalls, and head over to where the crowd is gathering in front of the church, school, courthouse. P.S. There's a woman off to the side with a wide-rimmed bonnet. Definitely giving me Flying Nun vibes. Charles races towards this young boy ringing the bell. He yells out a name. However, the closed captions don't pick it up, but the big word is that there are Native Americans on their way. Charles takes pause and states, That can't be there haven't been any around here in quite some time. It can't be what you saw. Following that, the young boy, who is ringing the bell, points over Charles's shoulder. Uh, then then what are them? And everyone turns to look at three men with rather stereotypical costume on horseback show up. The residents of Walnut Grove are frozen in their spots. They watch As one of the men steps forward on his horse and rides all the way up to the church, school, hospital, multipurpose building, we are introduced to Little Crow, son of Long Elk. They are Santee people of the Lakota tribe, and they've come in peace. Jonathan Garvey, looking suspicious, what do you want? Little Crow mentions how they're heading north to Newland. They've stopped here because they're in need of a uh, white man's doctor. Doc Baker announces his occupation and he's ready to help. However, the gentleman just to the side of him stops him. His name is McGregor and he doesn't wait too long to let us know that he has certain feelings about the Native Americans by calling him, one, offensive names, then proceeds to tell Doc Baker his job is not to help him, and finally, in a mocking tone, states, there's only three of them. Jonathan Garvey steps forward, placing a hand on McGregor's chest, and informs him, you better learn how to count. And looking beyond the crowd, McGregor finally notices the eight additional men up on the ridge plus one on top of the eyeshed, and then three more who show up on horseback. Charles takes a moment before he inquires, uh, I thought you came in peace. Little Crow says, yeah, we do. These men are here to watch your friendliness. Doc Baker heads to his office to retrieve his bag. Charles follows in pursuit to tag along. Shortly afterward, Jonathan Garvey follows too. And we have a lasting shot of McGregor. We cut to the camp out on the prairie. Dog Baker is escorted to the patient. There are a, a number of people around. There's also chanting that is the soundtrack. Meanwhile, we cut to McGregor on horseback. He's followed along, but not to help, but merely to see what this camp is all about. And of course, he's not happy. We cut to a shot of inside, possibly Little Crow's teepee, but it could also be his father's. This is when we're also introduced to Long Elk. The source of the uh, chanting, which the closed captions now call chanting in a native language, he's in the background as Doc Baker is finishing up his examination of Long Elk. Doc Baker steps outside, and this is when we come to find out that long elk is not just any man he's the chief doc baker seems a a little surprised by this information he inquires how long has long elk been immobile and incapable of speech and he's informed it's been two days and from checking the man's forehead plus getting this bit of information doc baker states he has suffered an apoplectic stroke explaining that it's a blood clot that is formed in a blood vessel in the brain. It stopped the blood flow, which led to the loss of speech and movement. Doc Baker concludes he might recover. When Little Crow inquires about when they can move him, Doc Baker states Ugh, a forced move might trigger another attack, or even yet a worse one. Little Crow states, we must continue our move. This is when Charles inquires, even though he already knows the answer. You jumped the reservation, didn't you? Little Crow states, our people are starving and there is nothing there. And Charles is shocked. What? How? The government just gave the natives more land. And Little Crow rolls his eyes without actually rolling his eyes and states, yeah, they gave us land land nobody else wants land that can't be used all the good land they keep we're not going back with that being said doc baker then prescribes rest food and time and with that him and charles leave when they're gone little crow speaks to his people and the closed captions once again states speaking in a native tongue but there's no translation Cut to Walnut Grove. Oh, that young man from before who rang that bell? The closed captions give him the name of Benjamin this time. And he tells Charles and Doc Baker as they return that McGregor has called a meeting at the church. And the meeting is called for informing everyone of the developments. And two, they want to know what this man is afflicted with because they don't want to get sick by them. There's a facepalm from Doc Baker. Sadly, without a facepalm. And once again, McGregor tells Doc Baker not to treat these people and tell him to get one of those colored doctors. He's talking about Dr. George A. Tan. We met him in Season 3, The Wisdom of Solomon. He just might already be out on the reservations, however. And well, McGregor continues to be a d-bag while calling the Native Americans more offensive names. Charles steps forward and finally says, be cool. They've come in peace and they're asking for help. McGregor bounces back. Uh, you weren't here when the settlers were massacred. And although he wasn't there, there was a near possibility it could have happened to the Ingalls while they were squatting out on the prairies of Kansas. Check back to the pilot episode. Charles fires back and states, yeah, I wasn't here, but there have been massacres on both sides. And well, at this time, McGregor whips everyone into a frenzy, and they decide to storm the establishment. Just kidding. They decide to storm out to the Native American camp out, and there are 10 men on horseback heading out, and it's another one of those really long takes riding in the prairie. McGregor reminds everyone that who they are about to deal with aren't human, so do whatever. However, upon arriving over the hilltop, the camp has already moved. Fires are put out. There are no traces of anything. It's literally pack it in, pack it out. Back over at Plum Creek, it's late evening. Charles and Doc Baker are arriving back in their wagon and shut the front door. They have secret cargo in their wagon. They have brought Little Crow and his family, two kids and his father, to the little house. Caroline comes outside and sees the youngest child, who pulls away and is frightened by Caroline. They bring Long Elk up to the prairie Airbnb. The two children are there, as well as Little Crow. Doc Baker is checking on the patient, and Charles and Caroline head back to the house to help get their guest a little bit more situated. Inside the house... Laura, a real-life goodness chief? Apparently, she's forgotten about the Osage chief, Sol and that bear amulet that was gifted to her, which she had brought out to show Flying Eagle back in season three. Laura further inquires when she can play with a little girl, and, oh, spit, Mary just opened her mouth to say, who would want to? And following that, she continues, be more offensive Charles however is not having it and puts his foot down and promptly into Mary's ass they may not read the same Bible or worship God in the same way but they're all his children too that quiets Mary up for the rest of the scene Caroline inquires if they're doing the right thing and then further inquires how could the res be so bad to put children through all of this And Charles, being the empathetic character, we've never known that kind of suffering. Charles also surmises that when it comes to taking care of family, he'd probably do the same thing. Just then, Dog Baker comes into the house and announces that McGregor and company are heading down the road, and they need to keep everyone inside. Upon his arrival, Charles steps out. McGregor inquires if they have seen any of the Native Americans before calling them cowards for running off. Charles reminds everyone that this group has done nothing to no one. And McGregor brushes this off, delivers some empty threats, and decides to head out. At school the next day, during recess, we are introduced to McGregor's son, Rob who's boasting about his father scaring off the Native Americans. He says it's our Christian duty to get rid of them. Hearing this, Laura starts to come to the defense. And Rob says, oh, yeah, that's right. Your dad's a Native American lover. And Mary, trying to defuse the situation, gets a hold of Laura and they move away. What happens next happens rather fast. As Mary and Laura try to leave, Rob chases after him and grabs Laura's jump rope and tells her that when my finds them, they're going to hang him like their wasp. He then takes that rope and puts it behind Laura's neck and Mary, on instinct, kicks Rob in the shins and then punches him hard in the stomach. Apparently Rob McGregor wasn't in town when Bubba Gallander was in town. Otherwise, He would know better than to mess with mary and while rob mcgregor is balled up on the ground mary states if hanging native americans is your idea of being christian you suck at it my words not hers turning around and heading into school rob mcgregor yells out my pa will find them and laura your pa can't find his way out of an outhouse heading home to plum creek charles in his wagon stops and spots Little Crow's son out in the fields. Charles calls him a foolish kid and heads to the Prairie Airbnb to talk to Little Crow about this. Little Crow states that he did not give permission for his son to head out, and upon his return, this teenager, whom we're going to call Lone Wolf, because that's what the credits at the end of the episode call him, states that he's a man now, and he must provide food for the family. However, Little Crow explains that his behavior was careless, and if he is seen, he could endanger everyone. Little Crow apologizes for his son to Charles. He's young, and he's blinded by anger and pride. Charles states he doesn't want to take the boy's pride. He just wants to protect his family. He also promises that he'll bring all the food that they need. Inside the little house, Caroline is baking bread, we're told Doc Baker will be returning that evening. And in the meantime, Laura is in the kitchen to help dish out the food and take it up to the Prairie Airbnb. And it seems as though things are heading in the right direction. The chief can now speak and inquires, where are his people? Which Charles says he doesn't know, but I'm kind of confused why Little Crow doesn't know the answer to this question. Laura tries to share the bread and a cookie in conversation with the kids but is greeted with nothing but silence. Laura, you don't have to be afraid of me. And that's when Lone Wolf informs Laura that the younger child is afraid of the people who killed her mom. The room just got really, really quiet. Laura is kind of frozen in her place, and Charles gathers up his daughter and takes her outside. He mentions how he'll return later with Doc Baker and more soup. Outside, Laura inquires, what's her name? We're told the young child's name is Yellowfeather. And Laura's fighting back tears and compares and complains how her name is so boring and plain. She takes a pause yet again and then states, When he said that, I didn't know what to do. Why do people hate so? Charles embraces his half pint. And while assuring her that he does not have the answer to that question, he is not fighting those rapid eye blinks. We cut to Charles, Caroline, Carrie, and Mary, all loading up in the wagon. Laura has opted to stay home. And well, it it can't be Sunday because I thought everyone had to go to church. But as the family leaves, Laura heads back inside and gathers her doll from the kitchen cupboards not from her bedroom loft. But from there, she heads up to the Prairie Airbnb. And inside the Prairie Airbnb, Little Crow and family watch Long Elk's health start to return. Laura knocks and comes in and inquires about Long Elk's health and then gives her doll, Sally, to Yellowfeather. Some people need love more than others do. Laura doesn't stay long, and she leaves and tells Long Elk to feel better soon. With Laura gone, Lone Wolf gets up and grabs the doll and is about to smash it until Long Elk yells at him and tells him to stop. He returns the doll to Yellowfeather and she holds it close. Cut to the mercantile. Hello, Harriet Olson. She's going on a tyrant about the government giving away free land and food while also in the same breath telling the Ingalls that their bill is a dollar fifty-three, McGregor comes into the mercantile and states that the Native Americans are en route to Canada, but speculates they might have double-backed for a surprise attack. He then calls them ignorant. There's an eye roll for me on that. And Charles, casually delivering some shade, you may call them ignorant, but they managed to give the slip to you. With his goods in hand, Charles heads out of the mercantile. Caroline, over at the central aisle, then states, Good day, Mr. McGregor. We'll see you in church tomorrow. From behind the counter, Harriet Olson's mouth slowly drops. And McGregor slowly turns to look at Caroline. We cut to outside the doctor's office. Doc Baker is coming out, and he's getting into his buckboard. McGregor in his wagon stops by we find out his name is Hugh McGregor and he inquires to the doc where have you been and really that's doctor's business so he can just simply say whatever he wants however Doc Baker is nice simply states he's busy and what's wrong with McGregor standing up in his wagon McGregor grabs the back of his leg and says darn carbuncle needs lancing again gross. Looking up at McGregor, Doc Baker, without any expression on his face, states, hmm, that's uncomfortable, especially with all the extra horseback riding that you've done this week. It's moments like this. I really love Doc Baker. McGregor asks if Doc Baker is busy after church, and, and Doc Baker states that he is, and that he's heading over to the widow Fraser right now somewhat satisfied with this answer mcgregor then accepts an appointment for lancing his carbuncle tomorrow morning pulling up to the church mcgregor watches as doc baker drives off and notices that he's heading in the wrong direction of the widow Fraser's. he then tells his family to head on into church and he starts to pursue doc baker and doc baker of course we know is showing up at the ingles and and while the family is finishing getting itself ready to head to church, Charles and Doc Baker head up to the Prairie Airbnb. And that's where they're greeted by Little Crow at the door. And that's when they all hear a horse whine. And over in the distance, they spot McGregor, who has spotted them. He turns and is heading back into town. Charles then announces to his family to stay inside. He does the same for Little Crow and his family and announces that he's going to put the canvas on his wagon because they have got to move Long Elk north. And well, things go by really quickly because we are back in town and McGregor, along with a group of men on horseback, are heading out. We cut to another one of those really long takes of watching a covered wagon cross the prairie. And although they have a pretty good head start, they're unfortunately leaving a trail in the prairie for their pursuers to follow. We're back at Plum Creek, and McGregor has somehow made his way inside the little house and is interrogating Caroline, and she is standing firm and refusing to speak. And McGregor is losing his patience, and mm, he threatens her to make her speak. And Caroline apparently has learned how to stand up and be vocal for herself when accosted by men. Remember the last time? The Bully Boys, season three. However, this time, Caroline states, you lay a hand on me and you better have a lot of help. She doesn't even blink. All the men, apparently not used to seeing a woman of the prairie behave or act like this, are stunned. That's until one of the mob comes in and announces they have found the tracks to follow. We cut to that wagon, once again, speeding along as fast as you can with dual horsepower. And well, the the chief is not looking too well. While still riding the wagon at full speed, Charles announces that he's running these horses pretty hard. But no matter what they do, their set of tracks is going to leave their pursuers right to them. And this is when Charles spots another wagon in the distance. And at full speed, remember dual horsepower, they come across this man, a senior man who is a little hard of hearing. He's heading to California. Charles mentions the man's older team of horses as well as his beat-up wagon, and then offers a trade, his newer wagon and younger horses for the old man's. And Charles don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Do you want to trade or not? The old man, yes and hallelujah. We cut back to McGregor and his men and they spot the tracks. Well, they spot the second set of tracks and one man mentions, ooh, the wider tire tracks. Those belong to the Ingalls and they're heading west to California. And with that, they all turn west and also head to California. As Charles heads north. Once again we get long takes of this wagon traveling across the prairie but they finally locate the camp and Charles with the best intentions, states that they all have to pack up and leave. Doc Baker mentions well another hour of travel and the chief will surely die. Charles throws it out there well if they stay here all of them will die and Little Crow makes the decision to keep the chief aka his dad at the camp he then turns to the crowd and starts to speak again in his native language to everyone and they all start to arm themselves watching everyone get prepared charles tells little feather i can't stop these men little crow mentions to him you don't have to stay charles reminds them they will have guns and this is when little crow states yeah so will we. We cut back to that Ingalls wagon being followed by McGregor and his men. They eventually surround it, but come to discover that there's no Charles. In fact, there's no one else other than the old man. And really fuming at this point, McGregor then states, were there any Native Americans with them? The old man, hesitant, finally admits, yes. McGregor and his men turn, and leave. Back at camp, Doc Baker is tending to the chief, and a scout rides in, informing the crowd that those men are finally on their way. As Charles continues to encourage everyone to leave, Little Crow says, you can go. This isn't your fight. However, Charles admits that you're not going to win, and Little Crow Looking at Charles states, the sun will still rise tomorrow. All the men take their places, and actually, so does Charles, as he loads his rifle. We get another long tag of horses running through the fields, and we're back inside the chief's teepee. As Doc Baker continues to check on the patient, we then hear those horses approaching they don't come all the way into the encampment because what they see from a distance is a whole swarm of Native Americans holding rifles, or at least wooden spears that somewhat resemble rifles, from far away. McGregor and his men are stunned and surprise. They thought these people would only have bows and arrows. And of course, the first thing that comes to McGregor's mind is, they must have stolen them. And now that these men are here, they actually have no plan with how to handle the situation because they're out in open country. This is when McGregor yells out for Charles if they can have a meeting. And he's responded with, meet me halfway, no guns. Charles and Mr. McGregor meet out in the middle of the field where McGregor's first demand is Tell them to put their guns down. There's a snort and an LOL from me. And Charles responds with, Yeah, right. Like they're going to listen to a white man to tell them what to do. Charles continues that whatever McGregor has to promise, he doesn't believe. All these people want to do is to go in peace. McGregor, Well, why do they have all their guns? Charles doesn't even pause uh, to keep from getting killed by people like you. McGregor is still adamant. Tell them to throw their guns down. Charles, or what? Are you gonna charge them down? You guys wouldn't make it halfway. A little stunned, McGregor then inquires, you would shoot your own people? And Charles, on top of it, you're, you're not, you're not my people. And while McGregor calls himself a white man, according to Charles, they're nothing but cowards. You guys won't even come down this hill. And pointing back to the encampment, Charles states, those people, they're not afraid to die. And it's because people like you have done so much to them throughout the years. Dying doesn't mean anything to them anymore. McGregor in a cowardly huff, mentions the army post east of Sleepy Eye and mentions, we'll see how brave they are staring down the barrel of a Gatlin gun. He then turns and leaves, as do the rest of the men. Heading back towards Little Crow, Charles states, at most, they have three or four hours to start moving. Little Crow, however, states, we're staying. If today be forever, so it must be. And holy spit, Long Elk is on his feet outside the tent and speaking. There's an exchange between father and son as the chief turns around and starts walking away. He passes a number of people in the encampment before finally stopping and getting down on his knees to chant. Little Crow translates and says This is his death chant, and that he's ready to leave this world. Be cut to McGregor and company returning already with men from that army post and that Gatlin gun. And just as this group of men are making it to that Native American camp, they discover the tribe has moved on. Charles and Doc Baker are there tending a fire, they're there as decoys. And they informed everyone that Little Crow and his people went to the mountains on the prairie. McGregor turns around and yells out, Let's get them, sergeant! And the sergeant says, Um, I'm the boss. Plus, we're only a handful of men. And we can't fight a group that already has coverage or against people who are heavily armed. He then tells McGregor, You want to fight them? you go right ahead, but I got a kidney pie waiting for me at home. McGregor, upset he didn't get his way, also leaves. We then see Charles and Doc Baker standing by the fire as the Chiefs' chant plays over. I would like to begin our post-recap portion of our podcast here with a little bit of real-world updates. Back in season three, with the offensively titled name, Engine Kid episode, which I released shortly after the Academy Awards, which brought up the trivia about sashing Little Littlefeather's own Academy Award experience. Again, if you need a recap about that, you can either listen to that episode or simply Google it. And if you Google it, you'll find out that update almost 50 years later. After Sasheen Littlefeather took to the stage at the 1973 Academy Awards and had a less than pleasant experience, and that's just sugarcoating it, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has finally issued an apology back in mid-August. And not only that, the Academy is also is hosting a special night of conversation and celebration with Sasheen Littlefeather. And of course, tickets are sold out. Well, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. So here is our second episode of Little House in the Prairie to feature Native American characters as the main storyline. And for the second time, it seems as though the main reason that the story moves forward is this reservation jumping and jumping for the same reason to feed their family. Spotted Eagle slash Joseph Stokes, his father White Buffalo. He left, and because of that, that led to his death, and brought our story into Walnut Grove. And here, Little Crow, speaking on behalf of his father Long Elk, that they've also left because of the lack of provisions. So I'm hoping with what is most likely going to be a third episode with Native American characters that we can kind of move beyond this reservation jumping as the only reason we have interaction between characters but on some level i also have to point out that apoplectic stroke also brought everyone together what i did appreciate about this as well was the native americans in this episode were further identified as the santine sioux people On the IMDB page for this particular episode the trivia portion does mention that the language that is being spoken is Santin and according to native-languages.org they mention there are still about 10,000 people able to speak this language, however it is endangered. So now I would just really like to know 1. How accurate is the language portrayed in this episode and 2. I want to know what's being said. Did the writers just decide for this episode that when it came to these moments that the actors could just make up whatever dialogue they wanted? Or was there actual dialogue written in English that was translated? I want to know. I was also rather impressed with how quickly the town split into two. Charles and family, and Doc Baker on one side, and pretty much everyone else on the other side. Although McGregor points out it's because of the aftermath of the 1862 Dakota Wars for essentially wanting to annihilate any found Native American off the reservation. And of course, we see how that seeps down into the youths because Laura, Mary, and Rob McGregor all have that confrontation during recess in front of school the trickle effect. And this is not the first time we see this kind of mentality spread from adult down to offspring. I mean, he seems to be demonstrating that same sort of mentality and unable to let go issues that Mr. Ford had in regards to rebel sympathizers back in the Aftermath episode earlier this season. And in that particular case, Miss Beetle calls him out on that. And she also identifies how it has affected his son, Robert Ford. But here, McGregor seems to just continue to go unchecked by anyone, raises everyone up into a frenzy, and decides that they are ready to deliver whatever action they desire. I mean, I know Harriet Olsen is our resident bee, but these other characters that come in for these episodes and kind of just take all these prejudices... To the next level? Is Walnut Grove really that ideal? And speaking of ideal, let's get to this week's Little House moment. And it's a slightly awkward one for Laura when Lone Wolf tells her that Yellowfeather is frightened of the people who killed her mom. Laura, after of course being escorted outside by Charles, like it's finally sinking into Laura, people will look at her and already have prejudices against her. And it won't be from anything that she's done personally. It's an association. And at this point in her TV character life, it's not something that she's experienced. So yeah, season four, it's definitely not letting us linger in childhood any longer. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. Aside from some questionable choices with costuming and, of course, some really bad wigs, I really appreciated the use of language in this episode. And no, I'm not talking about the English. Hearing the Santine language in the episode brought more authenticity to the characters. I mean, the same thing can, of course, be said about Spotted Eagle, when he was doing his own praying back in his own episode. For me, hearing that language, it makes them appear more human and really helps to bring a character more to life. Again, I hope in future episodes they do find another reason other than reservation jumping as the main reason Native American characters are included on the show. But their resilience to continue pushing forward regardless was another thing that made watching this episode a good experience. However, the ending still kind of leaves me questioning. Did they really head off to the mountains that are on the prairie? Or were they actually continuing to head north and Charles and Doc Baker were there just to deliver that news to McGregor and all the men? And of course, because I haven't mentioned it since I finished the recap, All those long takes of men on horses going through the prairie. Yes, I get it. There's lots of distance to cover. I just don't really think it helps the episode as much as they feel it does. So again, to sum it up, long takes on horseback, bad wigs, a kind of open end ending, and really no sort of closure or punishment for our antagonist other than calling him a coward and essentially making him look bad in front of all the other guys. Hmm. So that is why we are going to give this episode Freedom Flight a four bonnet rating. And those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode, any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with love at gmail.com or the Instagram account, As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, feel free to go ahead and leave a rating or a review on your platform of choice to, again, help spread the word on this podcast. And all right, with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, A Little House on the Prairie Podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. And until next time, take care.